it's Helen Hong, and you're listening to Rebel Radio. Oh, for fuck's sake, Josh. God. Get your shit together, Josh. <laughs> What's up? This is Rebel Radio. What up, what up? This is DJ Newmark. This is Peanut Butter Wolf. It's your boy. It's okay. Keep checking out Rebel Radio. Rebel Radio. This is Rebel Radio. We're in the place right here. Uh-huh. Rebel Radio is going down. What did you say? Rebel Radio? Oh, wait. Let's do it again. What's up, Rebels? Welcome back to Rebel Radio, the weekly show where I bring you the rebels who are shaping our culture. I'm your host, Josh Levine. This week, my guest is Helen Hong, very funny comedian, actress, podcaster, all of that. She's got a new special, Well Hong, that you definitely want to check out. And we we get into it. We have a great conversation. Um, We talk about influence and inspiration. We talk about uh, some, she taught me some shit I didn't know about the difference in the comedy scene between L.A. and New York and what it means to start over in that business. Um, she's got some great stories about, you know, just keeping it real on stage, talking about things that are uncomfortable or, uh, you know, what she calls the elephant in the room. She's um, she's got she's got a great story about uh, bringing her dad into her comedy and uh you know what what that's been like working with him great stuff uh let's get into it right now with helen hung but yeah thanks for making time to do this I, yeah I, thanks for uh, having me thanks for having me absolutely i, I just watched uh, the special the, the screener well hung it's awesome thank you super fun and um and i named listening. it well hung because i'm a i'm a 12 year old boy Sure. <laughs> I have the maturity of a 12-year-old boy. I mean, why not? And I, I think especially, um, I think I think collectively we all have the maturity of a 12-year-old boy. Yeah, I mean, that's why, yeah, exactly. That's why uh, That's why I sell tickets because. Sure, <laughs> exactly. And then, I, you know, and, and I think especially breaking through on, on social media, right? Like you need, it's funny how naming things has changed so much because, you know, now something's got to stand out um you know on a hashtag or a, or or on a social network in a, yeah. in a different way yeah that's true i mean i feel like as a stand-up comedian naming a comedy album is always like i don't yeah what i don't even is that know. right so, yeah yeah that's why you get so many you know comedy albums that are called like live at the comedy store sure <laughs> or or like you know thursday night <laughs> or 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 like what you know like like everyone's like what i gotta name this thing now i don't know sure i always wonder how like jazz or or uh electronic music that has no lyrics like how they come up with titles and they always have it's like these totally flowy, like po- uh-huh. poetic they're just like the essence of life <laughs> the album and you're like oh okay, exactly i'll listen to the essence sure. of life or <laughs> why not yeah that's so funny yeah, but comics we're not poetic at all which is why we're it's like it's like I mean, it's like it's, a it's poetry in a way <laughs> fair enough yeah fair enough um well uh i got a lot of questions for you yeah. um but i was just listening to your podcast uh fact go fact oh. yourself uh-huh um which is super fun i was listening to the jazzy jeff episode he's, oh, isn't my, that cool? he's my favorite dj and i've done some work with him over the years and, yeah uh, he's really enjoying that yeah, um, i really like him he's just got a really nice uh like vi- like outlook on life and vibe and just really thankful and humble totally. yeah yeah totally awesome guy 
yeah, he's a great guy. And, and you see why, you know, someone can build a career that's, uh, I think now four, four decades, you know. Yeah, and he's never slapped anybody on stage. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> as far as not we yet. know, as far as we know, maybe he has. Exactly. Well, the year's <laughs> not over, so we'll see what happens. Um, so I have a question uh, about your musical background. Do you remember the first record you ever bought for yourself? first record I ever bought for myself. Um, I want to say it was something. I think it was Madonna. Okay. Um, that would be fair. Yeah, I think it was Madonna. Which one? No, it wasn't Madonna. You know what it was? It was Depeche Mode. One of my favorites. Violator. Oh, great record. Right? Yeah. That's Violator. a good place to start. Yeah. That's a good place to start. They're, and they're journey. also the first concert I ever saw. Is that right? The Violator tour. Yeah, I was nice. really young. Yeah, I, I like, got permission from my parents and they drove yeah. me. My dad drove me out to the, and I had an older friend. Mm -hmm. he, so I skipped a grade um because i was a genius in fourth grade of course <laughs> so i skipped a grade so i was like a year younger than everybody in my grade and then uh i had a friend who i think she she wasn't held back because she like academically but there was something about like moving moving or something like anyway she was a yeah. year older so she was two years older than me even though we were in the same grade oh, okay and yeah so she had cigarettes <laughs> oh! And so I'm like smoking cigarettes at the best mode. Twelve or something, and I'm smoking cigarettes, and it was like so exciting. It was so exciting. That's funny. I went and saw Depeche Mode. I'm older than you, um, and so we went to the Music for the Masses tour. Oh, which, which so that would have been eighty seven, eighty eight. They did a documentary like that. about that tour. Yeah, and yeah, was that like, was. Yeah, I remember watching it being like, oh, my God, if only I had been there. Like, <laughs> so exciting. It was really cool. But what I, you know, my friends and I were all, we were, my friends and I were like, wherever the party is, that's where we are. And if it's hip hop, we're into hip hop. If it's, you know, Depeche Mode, we're into Depeche Mode, right? If there's yeah, girls yeah. and, and yeah. alcohol, then we're there. Yeah. And uh, so we got to the Depeche Mode concert and like everybody there is dressed in black. Except us, we're all like preppy, whatever. <laughs> you know, I grew up in San Francisco, but we all look like East Coast prep school kids and polos and, and all that. And we show up at this Depeche Mode concert. Oh, with that's all these, hilarious. Like, Vespa. But, yeah, and we had no idea that that whole subculture even existed. Oh, you know what's so fascinating that I've learned since moving to California is um, like, there's a weird, like Depeche Mode is weirdly super popular with like Mexican Americans. Yes. Like La there's sure. a Latin American yeah. goth totally. underground, well, and they're super definitely. Depeche Mode and like the Smiths. This it's Morrissey. Morrissey, like the, this is like Morrissey Central. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah. I don't understand where the like where it. But well, oddly enough, like that kind of music was really popular with Korean Americans in is that right? New York. Yes. Okay. Yes, that's how I got into it is like Korean American friends uh, were really into like Depeche Mode and New Order. Mm. And um, yeah, like that kind of music. Yeah. 
um, new wave, I guess it was called. Yeah, totally. No, yeah. You're, you're right. It's a, it's, it's interesting, you know, the differences around the country and, you know, LA just happens to have a massive Latino population. Yeah. And so there's like Latin ravers and Latin metalheads totally. and Latin everything. Right. Yeah. But, but yeah, I remember when I moved here, the same thing, like, yeah, all these, all these Morrissey fans, yeah, with the, like the, with the pompadours and yeah, and, like yeah, just moody looking and the yeah. whole thing. It was so interesting totally. to me, like this whole like Latin American goth culture. Yeah. I I guess it's not goth. It's just like I don't know. I don't even know what it's called. Yeah, it was kind of like eighties goth. Yeah, yeah, that's really funny. <laughs> so, and then how did you get into comedy? Were you did, were you a fan first? No. Not no. at all. I actually am kind of, I'm kind, yeah, I'm kind of distinctive in that way. So, you know, my parents are first generation immigrants and they like mm. don't speak English well. So right. like I didn't grow up with American culture in the house. Like my parents didn't speak English well enough to be into like TV shows or music mm -hmm. or co stand up comedy, especially like your, you know, your language skills has to be pretty good sure. to understand stand up. So I, I never grew up with stand up in the house. I didn't know stand up albums were a mm. thing. I didn't know yeah. stand up was a thing. Like right. they didn't watch the tonight show. I didn't watch comics on TV, like none of that. Like I had no zero interaction with stand up comedy mm -hmm. until like, I think Margaret Cho, like when, okay. I was in, when I was in college, you know what I mean? I went like, to high school at Margaret. You did? Yeah, yeah, was she's she like a couple years older than me, but. Got it. So you were we were at the same time. No, we were like the same sort of broader group, but but we didn't like hang out. Was she doing stand up then? Do you know? She was acting. It was I went to a school of the arts. Ah. Um, so she was acting at the time. I don't know. I think I've seen her talk about going like downtown yeah. to the CD clubs and doing yeah. stand up while she was in high school. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. yeah so I mean, she was groundbreaking. I, a absolute legend. And the fact that she was doing stand up at like she talks about how she started at 15 years old. Yeah. And she was chubby, like a chubby Asian mm -hmm. woman in the 80s mm -hmm. doing stand up comedy. Like that was unheard of. And right. she is definitely one of the people who paved the way for me. So it wasn't like even when I was doing, you know, when I started stand up, I was still really unusual. And that sure. was part of like my charm, I guess. People would be like, oh, that. Asian, you know, the little Asian girls like opens her mouth and says like disgusting things. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, at least I had a template like Margaret was the template where te Margaret had nobody to look up, look right. up to. Sure. So she was really like a badass to me. But um, yeah, so, so I didn't I didn't have I had no I, I think I discovered Margaret like in college because I was like, you know, an Asian American feminist, mm -hmm. you know, uh -huh. kind of, you know, when you're in college and everything is idealistic sure. and you're like, I'm going to smell spell woman with a Y. <laughs> <laughs> okay. you know, and it's like, yeah. oh, God, you know, I was such an idiot. Ah, but, you're, supposed to, you're supposed to do stuff like that when you're young. Exactly. Exactly. So what was the first time on stage? I actually took a class. Okay. That's how I got into stand up. Yeah, okay. I took a class uh, like well into my 20s. I had already, I was working a job that I hated and it was what was that? like, I was a TV producer. Okay. Or um, like, real, like not reality, but like women's lifestyle programming. So shows like what not to wear and okay. to the dress, like a lot of TLC kind of stuff, sure. you know, like so very feminist. Not, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, I, I caved. My feminism caved to like making money. Hey, you gotta eat. <laughs> so that's what I was doing. And 
um, I just didn't know what I, you know what it was? It was, I knew I wanted to be a performer and I knew I wanted to be in the entertainment industry, but I just mm -hmm. had no template for that. And I had no encouragement from my family. Like I didn't think that sure. being an actor or a comedian or a performer was a possibility for me. Like I'm a Korean American woman. Right. And um, so I thought, you know, I went to school for broadcast journalism being like, I'll be like Connie Chung. Like she's uh -huh. about as close as I could get to being on TV, an Asian person on TV. I mean, she's another icon, like groundbreaking. I, I mean, probably, probably the first Asian woman a lot of people ever saw on TV. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, and huge, like just, yeah. you know, the nightly news. Yeah. Um, then I found out she was married to Maury Povich and I was like, fuck <laughs> that. <laughs> she makes, I'm not emulating this bitch with poor choices. <laughs> she's, she's Mrs. Are You the Father? <laughs> oh, man. Did you know that she's married? Yeah, but I think I don't. He didn't have the show. I think I think their marriage might have predated. I think he became that Maury Povich yeah, later. Yeah, he followed yeah. in her footsteps. <laughs> so that's so um, funny. Yeah, so I was a TV producer in my twenties. I didn't like it. I was super miserable. I was working hmm. a job that I at the time that I hated. It was like the worst TV job I ever worked. And I was just depressed and I was looking for a way to cheer myself up. This was in New York City. Mm -hmm. And I got invited, a friend of a friend took a, a comedy class at Caroline's, which is, you yeah. know, the, like the big, one of the biggest clubs in New York City. It's like right in Times Square. Sure. And he was like, oh, I took this stand-up comedy class and we're doing a graduation show and we have to invite all our friends and family. And I was like, I didn't know stand-up comedy. Like, I didn't know that was a class you could take. Right. That was yeah. that's interesting. So I went and he was terrible. <laughs> I, I've never heard from him again. So he no longer does stand up and that's oh, good, good, good riddance because he was terrible. But, um, but it was an interest, you know, like on, on the table, they had all these flyers that was like, Hey, do you want to try taking this class too? And I was like, yeah, I'm like super bummed out right now with my job. Like I need something to cheer me up. Sure. So I signed up for this class. You know, and you can't teach stand-up comedy. Like, it's not a thing you can teach. Basically, what it is is you're just in a room with eight other people or, you know, right. nine other people that are also want to try stand-up comedy. And you're Practice. Just yeah, exactly. Bouncing yeah. jokes. It's just having, like, a, a sympathetic audience mm -hmm. of, of, like, mm -hmm. eight to ten people that also want to try it, too. And so yeah. you're trying out your jokes, and they're like, oh, that's funny, but maybe you could try this different punchline, or you maybe you could approach it this way. Um, so it was like, you know, an eight week class or something. And then we also had a graduation show at Caroline's, mm -hmm. um, and we all invited our friends and family and it ended up being like sold out, like 250 people nice. at Caroline's on Broadway. Of course it was like 3 PM on a Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> Prime but, time. Exactly. That's when the, that's when the uh, graduation shows happen. <laughs> but, um, but it ended up being packed and I was so nervous. I thought I was going to puke. I couldn't eat all day. And I'm like pacing in the green room. I swear to God, there's like a burn in the carpet from uh -huh. the time that I was there, like doing stand up for the first time. And I was so nervous and I was sweating and I got on stage and I thought I was going to barf, but then I did it and I got my first laugh. And the second I got that first laugh, that was it. I was hooked. Really? It was like really? it was like heroin and and cocaine and mm -hmm. like meth. I, I'm assuming. <laughs> I'm told. <laughs> At the same time, it was like the heavens opened and God smiled on me. I could hear the angel singing. Yeah, it was crystal clear 
Wow. I was so hooked and I, this is all I ever wanted to do ever again. And that was like 16 years ago and I never stopped. Wow. I never stopped after that. I just started doing like bringer shows and open mics and as much as however I could get on stage. And yeah, that's my, that's my origin story. That's amazing. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, that's amazing to have that clarity. Yeah. Instantly, right? Instantly, instantly. It was like, I yeah. was so nervous, but the second I got that first laugh, that was it. That was like yeah. every, my, my future path was like crystal clear. I was like, this is all I want to do ever for the rest of my life. So how long did that last? I got, you know, I've talked to a few comics who, who, um, similar, you know, similar, like they knew, or they, they, they felt it in the first moment. And then usually not too long after that, they bombed. Oh yeah. hundred percent. hundred percent. Actually, I was really lucky. I didn't bomb probably for the first year. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. Wow. I mean, but it was cause I was doing bringer shows. Sure. You know what I mean? Bringer shows is like, it's your friends and family. They're right, all right, like, right. like a sympathetic yeah. audience. And then, you know, I was cute and young and Asian and like saying disgusting things <laughs> and people find that really charming. So I had a really lucky run of like the whole first year. I didn't bomb that second year though. Oof, that was, that right? oh yeah. Like this was in New York city. It's like some of the roughest audiences sure. in the world. Like yeah. they will let you know if you're not funny. And I remember doing, um, like there was a, like an urban night, which I hate saying that, but like, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, it's black and brown night or whatever. Right. And, um, my, this was definitely my second year in and I just, uh, my cutesy little like Asian persona that I was rocking at the time, like they were like not having it. They were like, get mm -hmm. the fuck out of here. Like, who the fuck are you? And right. so I ate it. I ate it so hard. And I ate it in the worst way possible, which is like, I remember like the room wasn't packed and there was one table that was one group like a party of 17 people oh man and they were all like dominican <laughs> and they were not having me they did not think i was cute at all and they just started talking amongst themselves oh and like laughing and joking like just having a party amongst, in the middle of my set and i'm on stage and i'm supposed to be on stage for eight minutes and i remember getting the light at four minutes yeah and I was like, and I saw that light and I was like, thank God. And I just, I mean, failed. you're probably, I just, yeah, I was I'm sure thankful to see that light. And I just jumped cause I was eating it so hard. And then, so, so then you go right back out. Like, absolutely. Or is there... I got off stage. I was feeling so miserable. Do you know a comedian named Yamanika? No, she's based out of New York. Yamanika Saunders. She's amazing. She is an mm. awesome comic and she had been doing it maybe a few years more than me. And she was a regular at that club. She's a, a like a black woman from, I think she's from Harlem. Mm -hmm. um, she is my hero because she, I came off stage and she pulled me aside right away. was like, fuck them. It's not you. Everybody has a bad night. Don't mm -hmm. you worry. Fuck them. You're funny. You're talented. Just, you got to get back out there and fuck them. Wow. And I will never forget, like, that was like the best yeah, that's no, it was like the best thing I could have heard. And the fact that she just, you know, she didn't, I didn't know her that well. Like we weren't friends. And the fact right. that she took the time to like, just give me those words of, you know, the, those like kind words and to give me that boost of confidence. And 
it was like so great. And so to this day, like she's one of my favorite people and she's like what I consider one of the good ones, you know? Yeah. And she just didn't have to take me under her wing that like, like that, but I'll never forget that she did that. And I was right back at that club the very next night. Is that right? Same the club. Very next night, same club. Cause yeah. I remember, cause I remember they did these night. It was like, it was like urban night and it yeah. was um, a producer that did a Friday and a Saturday. So I yeah. bombed on a Friday and I was right back on stage on the Saturday. Oh, wow. At that same room, same club, same producer. Nice. And I did so that. You, so is that, uh, does that come up now? Like, do you, do you, um, you know, when you're faced with, adversity or failure or you know something not going the way you're hoping absolutely i mean this business is a marathon not a sprint mm -hmm. i you know that's a common adage and so many people have said it but man it is so true and i remember starting out with really promising comedians like really funny like great joke writers like people yeah. who i thought man that guy's like a great joke writer i'll never be that good of a joke writer and they dropped out of the business yeah. you know and i'm still here like i'm still sure. standing just by the way of me sticking to it mm -hmm. <laughs> you know and i've had my ups and downs in my career and i've had like i bombed so many times but like the longer you're in the business you realize like chris rock bombs to this day right. David, sure. you know, Jerry Seinfeld bombs, like Chappelle yeah. bombs, obviously Chappelle bombs, like right. all the greats have rough, Jim Gaffigan, like I've seen him have rough nights. Yeah. So like every, the, every comedian as genius as they are, they just have an off night. And mm -hmm. it's not, it's, you know, it's sometimes it's just got nothing to do with you. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's just in this business, you just, it's just a marathon, not a sprint. And you, you just got to stick with it. Yeah. That's why about, I'm still here. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I, I, I agree. I think that, you know, you see a lot of talented people in, in every area of life that just don't have the stamina, right? And people mm -hmm. just they give up too easily. Things 100%. get hard. Um, I have I've followed Jerry Seinfeld mm -hmm. on stage. Like he, you know, I, I started stand up in New York City and I was a comic in New York for like eight years before I moved to LA. Yeah. Um, so I know a lot of the, and I've, worked with a lot of you know the big new york comics and i've had to follow jerry seinfeld at gotham comedy club where he would just drop in mm -hmm. unannounced and then sure. you know and so he dropped in one night and then i'm <clears> supposed <throat> to go up next and they're like helen you're getting bumped and i'm like i'm supposed right. to follow him like what the fuck like no i can't do it but the interesting thing about like i've you know i've been on stage with jerry seinfeld a couple times but what's interesting about jerry seinfeld is he will get a standing ovation going on going up yeah like they announce him and obviously yeah, yeah, people sure. are freaking out. They're like, oh my God, it's Jerry Seinfeld at this random club on a Thursday night. What the fuck? So he gets a standing ovation going onto the stage, but he doesn't always get one coming off. Mm. And that's because he's trying new material. Sure. And it's not his bangers. It's not his A game. You know, it's not right. it's like the reason why he's at that little club on a Thursday night is because he's trying new material for his next arena tour. Right. Yeah. So yeah. like, it's not bangers, it's new stuff. A lot of it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And so people are like, oh, okay. Well, it was cool to see Jerry Seinfeld. It, that wasn't all that, but, and that I was mean, such, it's interesting. That's, I, such a le that's such a lesson for me and for, it should be a lesson for everybody. It's like, you know, you, so you can coast as, as long as you can coast on your reputation, but at the end of the day, it's about the jokes that you know right then 
It's about that performance. Well, I think you're right. But I also think, you know, and I've, I've been to see Jerry uh, on his two last tours and uh, which were a few years apart and playing big theaters, yeah. ticketed shows. And it's this, and he did the same set, like oh. almost word for word, like really? three years apart. Yeah. Really? Absolutely. Oh, that's disappointing. And, well, you know, so here's, yeah, in a sense it is. Uh, it's three years, so you don't remember all the jokes or some of them that you you realize throughout the show that like, oh, oh I've heard this before. Wow. But um That's interesting. But I also think, you know, a couple like one, when you're Jerry Seinfeld, you get to do things that not everyone else gets to do. Hundred percent. Right. Because when you go and I've gone to, you know, I went and we saw Louis C.K. uh do uh new material. It's comedy store, yeah. right? And you know, okay, some of the jokes were better than others. I've seen George Carlin, you know, do the same things. Oh wow. But but what you remember is I spent this night watching George Carlin. Exactly. Or Louis C.K. or Jerry Seinfeld or whatever. Exactly. And you don't remember was every joke the funniest thing I've ever yeah. heard. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. so I think there's there's some of that in comedy is this unique thing where you get to work out and you have to work out new material in yeah. front of an audience, yeah. right? And you don't, you know, George Clooney's not gonna do that, go rehearse some lines in no. front of a paying crowd and neither is Metallica, right? Like, every, you know, most art has to be finished exactly when it's presented to the world exactly. and comedy for whatever reason, we're okay as, as, a, as an audience participating in that process yeah. with the comedians. And there's no way to do it. There's no other way to do it. Like sure. you can rehearse, you can practice your joke as long as you want in front of the mirror. Right. <laughs> but you are not gonna yeah. know if yeah, that joke works. You have no idea if that joke works until so, you get it in front of a crowd. So how does that work with with the new special? With Wahong, right? It's it's a, uh, I, I lost count, but it's a long set. It's an hour. Um, it's yeah. an hour, which an is a, hour. a lot of material. Yeah, and that so so well hung. My special is the one unique. It's that's the one unique thing about this period of time where you couldn't necessarily get in front sure. of a crowd. You know, yeah. I I a lot of the jokes, <clears throat> the pandemic jokes, and the jokes about my new baby, they were brand new jokes. Yeah. which you would never normally do that for a special. Like a, co a comedian would never normally put brand new jokes in a sure. special. Yeah. Um, but because of the uniqueness of the time where I literally hadn't been in front of an audience for a year, this, wow. you know, the, the taping happened at the Tribeca Festival, mm -hmm. um, which was the first public event post lockdown in New York oh, City. Wow. Yeah, it was actually advertised as like new york's opening back up nice. with the tribeca festival like that's how it was <laughs> that's cool that's how it was advertised and so literally you know i taped that special and like everybody in the room was freaked out mm -hmm. <laughs> like we were all like oh shit this is the first time we're like we've been in a enclosed space with other people for a year sure so the whole everything about it was unique in that way where I had the only stand up I had been doing for that entire year was Zoom shows. Mm -hmm. You know, that's it's, yeah, that was the only option for comedians during you know the 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 pandemic, the peak pandemic yeah. year, 
yeah. 20, you know, 2020, where you could only do Zoom shows. Maybe there were a handful of outdoor shows that people mm -hmm. were like, but even at the beginning, that was like risking your life. Right. You felt like you were risking your life to do an outdoor show. And the, the safest way was to just stay in your house and do a Zoom show, totally. um, which is totally not the same. Right. You know? So, yeah, of course. Um, so, yeah, half of this special is brand new material that had never been tested in front of a crowd. And that's kind of why I gave a little disclaimer at the beginning and at the end, you know, of the special, if you notice, I gave a little mm -hmm. disclaimer, like this is either going to be a flaming shit show or a miracle. <laughs> so um, thankfully it was kind of a miracle. Yeah. But, um, but I think, um, I mean, it was, that's, that's like, it was like a, that special to me is really like um, a, a, like a bug caught in amber. It was like a time mm. period that will never, uh, hopefully never be recreated again, where it was like, we all went through this insane experience of being locked in our houses for a year. And yeah. we all had those similar experiences, like the jokes that I do about the mask mm -hmm. and like wanting to hook up with doomsday preppers, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, that is all stuff that I think is universal stuff that we all recognized from living through this crazy time of the pandemic. Sure. Well, my wife's got a big stash of uh, doomsday supplies nice. in the garage, so yeah. <laughs> I can relate. Um, so yeah, what's so what's the process of putting putting that show together? That much material, and like you said, without without being able to go test it out, like yeah. how do you, you know, do you envision the full hour and you sort of plan it from start to finish, or do you just start writing jokes and then you stop when you're done? No, no, no. Um, I didn't write any. There were maybe three or four jokes that I wrote that I like finally like kind of finished uh -huh. writing for that special. But yeah. the rest of the stuff, like the pandemic material and the baby material was stuff that I had been trying to work out mm -hmm. over the Zoom shows and it, definitely material that I had done before over Zoom. Mm -hmm. um and as much as i could and then there's the middle chunk uh the well hong joke which the you know the special is is named yeah. after is about my dad that's a joke that i've been doing for years the dry wedding joke is a joke that i've mm -hmm. been doing for a couple of years um so there's definitely like older material like tried and true bangers if you will mm -hmm. like the stuff that i know is going to work is kind of in the middle which is unusual usually you put the stuff that works at the beginning sure. but uh but i felt like i just i had to come out the gate with like addressing the mm -hmm. elephant in the room which is like yeah. holy shit, we're out of our houses for the first time in a year and mm -hmm. like isn't this crazy and like masks and and pandemic and like things that i learned about myself like i felt like i had to open with that stuff otherwise it wouldn't feel authentic to me mm -hmm. whereas you know they always say in comedian uh in in comedy like you have to address the thing that people are thinking about like if there's mm -hmm. a thing that's on everybody's minds sure. you have to address it out the gate otherwise people are distracted you know Absolutely. like I, my comedy teacher the, the very first teacher that i had at caroline's 15 years ago said she had a if there's anything like specifically physic physically unusual about you you have to get it out the gate at the beginning mm. like she said she had a student who had a club foot oh wow who, who hobbled onto the stage and then never mentioned it oh you're kidding and like she was like nobody's hearing your jokes right now because they're yeah. wondering what's up with the club foot you gotta address the club foot out the gate it's gotta yeah. be the first thing that you say you know this is why like josh blue 
you know, the first thing he says is about his cerebral palsy mm -hmm. or, you know, anything right. that's like distinctly weird about you, you've got to address it out the gate. Otherwise they are distracted. Like that's all they're thinking about. Like what's with the club foot, you know? Yeah. I was thinking about that. I guess uh, I saw Chris Rock is playing here this weekend here in LA. He's got to um, talk about the slap. And, and yeah, I mean, to. of course. Right. Can he you imagine? To, like the slap has to be the first thing he talks about. Otherwise, yeah. the whole room is like, what's up with the slap? <laughs> you know? Are you going to talk about the slap? Come on. Yeah, it's got to be the thing you address. And so yeah. that is just, it's a basic fundamental truth about stand up. And so I had to open with pandemic material. I just so, had to. so, you know, you talked about kind of starting out and you, you'd go and be, uh, you know, risque or disgusting, as you say, right? And, and, um, I would say, you know, this special, not so much of that. Yeah. You yeah. know, much more serious topics. And you yeah. talk about racial violence. And yeah. um, so how does that, how deliberate are you about kind of your voice, right? Like, how do you, you know, to, to what extent do you just let it flow? And you talk about something that might be, you know, off brand, or yeah. you're like, you know, I need 60% dirty jokes and, no, I'm not that exacting. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I that, figured. I am. I'm not that. Um, some some comedians are like. Yeah. Jim Gaffigan is is like, I mean, he's he's like with a measuring cup. With <laughs> is his that right? You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's so specific. Any comedian who's like a wordsmith. Sure. You know, and probably. Probably Seinfeld is a little bit like this. Which I would is imagine. Why, yeah. yeah, which is why you, you know, he does the same jokes like three years apart because he's just right. like, he's, he's like, it's got to be a certain way, right? Yeah. Um, and I know Gaffigan is like that. It's just, it's got to be a certain way and like the wording has to be exact mm -hmm. and, you know, the, everything's got to be exact. And I am not that, I am just a let shit fly and hope for the best. Sure. You know, throw the spaghetti against the wall. Um, like for instance, something that's happened to me since that special was taped is I had breast cancer. Right. Um, and I had a double mastectomy and I got mm. fake boobs. And of I have to talk about that on stage. And that's a very serious topic. And the second you say cancer on stage, like the whole sure. room, like you can just hear sphincters. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, just I, bring like, it. Oh no, totally. all the sphincters are tightening. So I bring up cancer and I'm like, I'm going to make it hilarious. Relax. Don't worry. Like, I'm going to tell you my cancer story. It's going to be fucking hilarious. You're going to love it. Yeah. And, and, you know, and then that kind of loosens things up. But um, that's just, it, A, I have to talk about it because it's, it, it's, it's, A, I, I want to make it a PSA. Mm -hmm. Tell people, like, I had cancer. It could happen to anybody. Mm -hmm. But also, it's what's happening in my life. It's it's a huge yeah. thing that's happening in my life. And that's how that's what my stand up is always about. It's about like, sure. you know, what's going on in my life. I don't I'm not a wordsmith comedian. I'm not a clever puns comedian. Like, I have to talk about what's going on in my world and make it funny, you know, for me and for you. Like, it's, mm -hmm. it's almost like my form of therapy. Like, I had breast cancer. How can I make this hilarious? Like, what's the silver lining of this? for myself yeah. and then yeah. I share it with you, you know? So um, that uh, I'm just, I'm not that exacting. I'm not that uh, that meticulous or planning. Like I just let shit fly. And so I let the shit fly about 
the pandemic. I let the shit fly about the new baby that I have, which is my mm -hmm. baby slash not my baby. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, how did I end up with a baby? Um, and also now about my breast cancer. So it's really good because I feel like uh, people at the end of seeing me for an hour really get to know me. They really get to know me. Whereas yeah. like some comedians, and I'm not knocking these comedians, they're excellent, um, you know, they're excellent uh, people who do their craft. They're excellent at their craft, mm -hmm. um, but you don't necessarily know who they are at the sure. end of the hour, you know? Whereas me, like, I'm just talking about the shit that's actually going on in my life and you really get a sense of who I am. And I yeah. feel like my audiences after an hour, they really know me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and they know what's going great. on with me. They know they know yeah. I have a baby at home, and sure. you know, so they go on my Instagram. They see the baby. They see the dog. Yeah. <laughs> they see my, you know, me with the breast cancer, like the the mastectomy bra and whatever. Like they really get to know me. So yeah, and I feel like there's an expectation. Like you said, some comics, you know, are are different. Some are, you know, we went and saw Nigel Lang, you know, recently, and he's mm -hmm. he did he did he actually did something I've never seen before. He did two sets. He did one in character as Uncle Roger, and then oh. came out, came back out as himself and headlined wow. for himself. Yeah, and uh, it was really cool. Um, but um, what was I going to say? I think some, like you said, their lane is I have I have a character or a yeah. or a or a, a storyline that i'm sticking to right yeah yeah but then i think you know for the rest i think there's become this expectation that you're going to kind of bear your soul yeah and you're going to you know we're we're relying on Chappelle to talk us through you know heavy social issues absolutely um and you know and other other people like him right that to to bring up the things that are maybe taboo or people are afraid to talk about or express yeah, or yeah. whatever. And I love both of those types of comedy. Like one of my sure. favorite comedians is Maria Bamford, mm -hmm. you know, and she's very character yeah. heavy. Right. Um, but at the same time, she, that is like, when, but when also really her, vulnerable. yeah, exactly. When you meet her, you're yeah. like, Oh no, that is her. <laughs> like yeah. She's not putting it on. Like she is sure. really this quirky person. Um, but I also love, uh, Louis C.K., you know, and I love that confessional, like, yeah. Ugh, I'm a trash bag human and <laughs> sure. tell you all the reasons why. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, I love Roy Wood Jr. He's one of my favorite comics. Oh, I don't you know. know. He's... Oh, you've got to look up Roy Wood Jr. Okay. He's, on, he's, a, he's on a correspondent on The Daily Show. Oh, okay. He has, he has one of my favorite specials of recent years. Nice. Um, and he's he's really excellent, and he talks a lot about racial mm -hmm. racial justice stuff. He's a black comic. Talks a lot about Black Lives Matter and like, you know, racial justice stuff, and 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 just so funny, nice. so funny. Yeah. So you got to look him up. He's fantastic. Cool. One of my favorites. Um, okay, let's go back to the marathon. Um, so I've you know I've seen you in a ton of things. My my son was a huge Thunderman's fan. Oh wow. And so, <laughs> He grew up watching you and Silicon Valley and uh, Inside Lewin Davis and you know a lot of a lot of great things. Thank you. Um, is one of those, you know, did one of those stand out that like it really got the phones ringing and make you know made a big difference in your career or is it more of the marathon? Is it each step? Yeah, one step at for a time? me, it's all the marathon still. Like that, my yeah, it's 
It's uh, no, there hasn't been one thing that's the phones are run out. <laughs> I wish the phones were ringing. More. <laughs> of course. But it's, I mean, I, I can't complain. I really can't. I mean, sure. I've had this really solid career and um, something that I, I feel like I moved from New York to LA. I started stand up in New York. Mm -hmm. And I kind of rose up the ranks of comedy in New York, and I was doing really well as a as a stand up comic in New York. You know, the thing about New York is you can make a living just doing stand up. Is that right? That's, yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And is you that can, different to LA? One hundred percent different. You cannot really? make a living just doing stand up in LA. Um, there's fewer clubs in LA. Mm -hmm. They're spaced far apart. You know, in sure. New York City, you've got right, right, right. thirteen full-time comedy clubs in like a yeah. five square mile area right. so you on a friday night you can do six seven eight shows got it in the same night you know yeah. you go one club boom you get off stage you jump on the subway you go to the next club boom you make your you know 75 bucks mm -hmm. you, boom you go to the next club you can you know in one mm -hmm. night you can make hundreds of dollars just running right. from club to club to club and that's it's physically impossible in LA just because sure. of how everything is spaced out. Yeah, of like course. You can't like find parking, jump in your car, go. I mean, you'll spend more on parking than, yeah, exactly. uh, than, you, than you make on the stage. That's exactly right. Drive 30 yeah. minutes to get to the next club. Like you've already lost yeah. 30 minutes. Like in New York, you can get to a club like in literally 15. Sure. So, um, so I was doing really well in New York and New York was turning me into a raging cunt <laughs> i'm just gonna say it okay you can bleep it if you want i was yeah, turning yeah. into the biggest bitch i in new york is such a hard place to live and it was hardening yeah. me yeah. like i was fantasizing about pushing tourists into the subway tracks i was like annoyed all the time get the fuck out of my way why are you walking so slow yeah. you know it's like every new yorker's complaint about tourists in new york like sure. fucking walk faster and walk in single file. Like, don't, like, four of you don't have to take up the entire fucking sidewalk so nobody can get around you. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so every complaint about tourists in New York. And, you know, and I'm a very, I am an introverted person, like, which is weird as a, to be a stand up comic, but I think a lot of comics. I think that's pretty common, actually. Yeah, yeah. A lot, yeah. A lot of comics are, are introverts. And so I need a lot of alone time. And mm -hmm. the fact that I had to start my day in New York if I had a meeting or an audition. Yeah, it's like not. The fact that I had to not start a town for introverts. In the subway, like with a thousand other people, like it just was grating on my soul. And so yeah. I was, I was noticing myself just being angry and annoyed all the time. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I can't live like this. Like I'm done. I'm moving to LA. And I remember people in New York being like, "Whoa, Helen, you're like." you're really doing well in new york like i had just been passed at the comedy cellar which is like the gold, holy grail of of mm -hmm. comedy clubs in new york and they're like okay you were just passed at the comedy cellar you're gonna let go of all that to move to la where you have no job no agent no manager the clubs don't know you you're gonna start over and i'm like yep mm. <laughs> i was like i would rather do that than be here and like go to jail for pushing a tourist into the subway tracks because I finally snapped sure. one day. So yeah, I took a leap of faith to move mm. to LA and I feel like that leap of faith was really rewarded because I did have to start over. I did move yeah. to New York with no job, no agent, no gig, no no manager. And 
it was like starting over. The clubs didn't know me. I kind of had to re-audition to get past mm-hmm. with all the clubs in LA. People didn't really know me. People knew me. You know, some of the bigger comedians who go back and forth knew me. And sure. So I had a little bit of a leg up. Like, they right. were trying here and there. But um, I did spend a year kind of like starting over, not making any money, you know, kind of hustling and trying to get into the clubs. But that year went really fast. And because I was good, I did get past at all the clubs. Mm-hmm. And I got an agent. I got a manager. Like, things happened really fast. And that's when I started, you know, I got Lewin Davis. I got um, the Thundermans was actually the first gig that I got in Hollywood. Nice. And uh, I started booking TV shows and commercials and movies. And I feel like that all came because of the risk that I took. You know, the so Were there moments in that time when you, you questioned that decision? No. I mean, there were definitely moments where I was like, oh, my God, I can't pay my rent. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to have to move. I, I did move like a couple of years in. I had to move to like a much smaller apartment. Because mm-hmm. I, I was like, oh, I can't live the way that I want to live sure. in LA because I'm just not making enough money. Right. So that was obviously very stressful and concerning. But I always knew, I knew that I did the right thing. And then I would go to the beach and be like, ah, this is great. This is yeah. so much. This is so much better than Coney Island. Absolutely. <laughs> Being on Venice Beach or Santa Monica Beach is so much better than like trying to get to Coney Island <laughs> with with five million other people <laughs> yeah there's nothing like it and it's funny every time i go to new york I, I'm, I'm always wondering what i did to piss everybody off <laughs> it's your existence as a tourist exactly yeah, yeah. um uh and also, so talk about, also walk faster right also exactly. fucking walk faster <laughs> yeah everybody's just upset for something yeah um Talk about the, uh, you have a YouTube show with your dad? Yeah, yeah. It's called Old Korean Dad Stories and Sometimes Mom. Yeah. (laughs) Only because my mom is really shy and she doesn't like being on camera. So that's the only reason why it's mostly dad. That's funny. But that came out of the pandemic because, so I'll tell you exactly how that came about. So it was the end of 2020, the first year of the pandemic. And you remember at the end of 2020, everyone was like, oh, worst year ever. Mm-hmm. worst year ever sure of course oh god thank god this year is over worst year ever worst year <laughs> right. ever it was on the like cover. on january 1st everything's gonna just exactly start over. magically yeah. and of course yeah, it yeah. didn't but um no, it didn't but like it was like the cover of time magazine said mm-hmm. you know 2020 worst year ever right and so my dad brought it up my dad was like oh did you see the cover of time magazine and i was like no and he's like it says 2020 is the worst year ever and i'm like well, what do you think about that and he goes my dad's like, you know, pushing 80 at this point. Mm-hmm. He's like, well, yeah, I guess 2020 was pretty bad, but maybe the year that I was fleeing from the Korean War and starving <laughs> and, you know, sure. we were like, we were the war refugees and my baby brother died. Yeah, that might be the worst year for me. And I was like, whoa, right. whoa, what? Yeah. Like, I didn't, I didn't know that he had a baby brother that died like I didn't oh, know wow. I, had, I had a whole ass uncle yeah. that I never heard about that wow. died during the Korean War and I just was like whoa and it just put everything in perspective for me sure where here we are like bitching in our houses that we don't have toilet paper that 2020 is the worst year ever and it was legitimately 2020 was the worst year ever for a lot of people legit you know people lost yeah. housing people of course like, 
lost their jobs they couldn't afford food like i get that but mm-hmm. like tell that to like anybody in afghanistan or tell sure. that to anybody in iraq or yeah. anybody who's in somalia anyone anyone in a war-torn country right now that's been happening for years like tell that to them that 2020 was the worst year ever like they'd be totally. like get the fuck out of here you know so mm-hmm. it really put things in perspective for me and it also made me realize like oh shit like my dad has all these crazy stories that i i've never asked him about that i don't know about mm-hmm. and you know i hadn't seen my dad in a year because he lives across the country we weren't allowed to visit and so we were just facetiming a lot and i was like shit i'm gonna like record these things you know and turn them into yeah. videos because they're this is so powerful and so, so cool. I did that video about him talking about like his baby brother that died. I did that video and I, I submitted it to now this, the media company mm. now this. It's a big mm-hmm. like they they post on Facebook and a lot of social media uh, platforms and they posted it and it did really well. And I was like, I'm gonna just do this as a regular thing and like put it on YouTube. That's and great. so I didn't do it as like a way to make money on YouTube. Like I just did it as a way to like have these stories in perpetuity. Sure. You know, you put them on YouTube and they're there forever. That's right. And so I, you know, I just started doing videos with my dad, like, and sometimes my mom where I would mm-hmm. like, I'm like, okay, I heard that copper can fight the virus. So I sent you <laughs> copper mugs and they're like unboxing copper mugs. And they're like, what is this? And I'm like, ah, That's hilarious. you know, <laughs> so, um, so it's cool. I actually paused doing it. Unfortunately, like it's a lot of work. Sure. Like once once things started opening back up and I started auditioning again and getting actual work, I yeah. had to stop doing. The yeah, video. of course. It's I'm sure. It's but a it's lot. really, I'm really glad that those videos exist. Yeah. You know where I talk to my parents about like crazy stories from their past. So what, you know, you talk a lot about the pandemic and and obviously you changed. You know, you had to change how you were doing things. Um, what do you think you learned from the experience of living through the pandemic that you'll then use going forward in your, your work and your career? Definitely. I need to fuck more doomsday preppers. (laughs) (laughs) Stock up on some TP. (laughs) The doomsday preppers have the TP. Okay. Rice and beans and whatever. Sure. Yeah. Nice. What have I learned? I, I, you know, I think you just got to roll with the punches. I think that's the biggest thing that I learned. Um, you think I, you come out of it more easygoing? Is that? No. No, <laughs> that's not your thing. No, I'm not easygoing. I definitely need like a lot of, I need edibles. To fall asleep every night. I need, I need okay. like industrial strength edibles to fall asleep every night. And that's only because I can't get enough Xanax from my doctor. As right. you know, from so my special. As you know, from my special, getting Xanax is like an odyssey. That's so crazy. It's an odyssey. But um, I think, uh, yeah, for me, I I kind of had to roll with the punches because the pandemic, for some reason, was just such a huge amount of change time yeah. for me. Like, yeah. I bought a house for the first time. <clears throat> I'm, now, I'm now a homeowner. I have a baby now, which is not my baby, but I'm raising a baby. If you want to figure mm-hmm. out, if you want to find out how, watch my special. You'll find out why I'm raising a baby that's not my baby. That's right. Um, I got breast cancer in the last year during the pandemic. I mean, this is all shit that I like. If you told me that I would have new fake boobies in a new house that I own with a dog that I first time I've ever adopted a dog and I'm also raising a baby. If you told me this two years ago, I'd be like, get the fuck out of here. Like, who the 
fuck do you think I am? Sure. I'm like cooking baby food at like <laughs> two o'clock in the morning. So the baby has something to eat tomorrow. Nice. Like this is yeah. like, who the fuck am I? I'm the least Martha Stewart bitch. Is mature. that right? Yes. So I, you say, but then you're cooking baby food at two in the morning. I mean, who the fuck am I? Every time I cook something for the baby, I'm like, who the fuck am I? Like, I barely know how to boil eggs. Like, and I'm not, I'm now following YouTube recipes on how to make toddler food. Like, who That's the fuck hilarious. am I? But this is all stuff that you got to roll with the punches. You have to okay. roll with the punches. That's what life is about. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, your Go Fact Yourself podcast, right? So you you interview people about their yeah areas of expertise super fun i love it so much it's it's like when you ask people about shit that they're really excited about and their whole face lights up and it can be anything yeah. from like depression glass like i didn't know what <laughs> depression glass was never heard of that but man it's somebody's thing it yeah. lights them up you know so what's your thing if you were a guest on the show what topic would would you be interviewed about i know a lot about huskies because my dog, the dogs. yeah, husky okay. dogs, because my dog is a husky mix and he's the first dog I've ever had. And so when I got him, I like deep dove into huskies. Okay. Um, and so I know a lot about huskies and they're very interesting to me. And I know a lot about the Donner party because I really am into people eating people. Okay. <laughs> I know a lot about the Donner party and also um, the story about like that movie Alive was based uh -huh. on about the rugby team that was stranded on top of the that mountain. That movie was scary. I'm obsessed with people eating people for some reason. I've okay. never eaten anyone myself, but I that always- That you know of? That I know of. Yeah, I yeah that I know of. I've never eaten anybody, but like I always wonder if I'm in that situation because I don't even eat red meat anymore. So I'm like, I don't eat red meat, and could I go from not eating red meat for like psychological reasons? Like I can't get past like cute baby cows. Mm -hmm. Could I eat a human if I was starving? I mean, probably I could. I think I think you would. Yeah, probably I could. I get a sense you would uh, instinct <laughs> would take over. You just <laughs> fuck somebody up with a knife and fork. Yeah, but like I just find that shit really fascinating, and so I read a lot. And I don't read a lot, but I watch a lot of like documentaries and listen to a lot about the Donner Party and and the rugby. That is, those are that those are very people. specific interests. Yes, <laughs> I like it. And also, what else do I, that, oh, Star Trek, The Next Generation, Obvi. Okay. Fucking love. Is that I right? Have, oh, God. I have the hots for older bald men mm. because of Sir Pat Stew. Okay. Patrick Stewart, because I was so obsessed with Star Trek, The Next Generation when I was a kid. Nice. Yeah. I got to spend a, a little time on set. <gasps> what? Yeah, my aunt was a script supervisor on Deep Space Nine. No and then, fucking way. And her partner was a uh, cameraman on Next Generation. No. So I, I used to go up to Paramount, I think it was Paramount, and I'd visit both sets uh, and met, hung out with LeVar Burton and dude, some other folks. My dick is out. <laughs> because of nice. you telling me this. Like, this is the most turned on I've ever been. Really? No. But I'm excited. I, I would hope not. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I'm so jealous that you had that. Yeah, experience. it was cool. It was cool. And I would say, you know, uh, for, you know, now that you have a kid and, and having kids around, like bring them to sets. Because being, I get, you know, I, I grew up, 
you know, my aunt would always invite me up to sets. I've been on 20, 30 sets as a kid and it's super fun. Yeah. It's a huge memory for me. Um, and, you know, meeting the $6 million man and uh, John Stamos oh, and, all, you know, all these cool people when you're like 12 years old. That's awesome. It's, really, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. I wished I had that experience. Um, especially because now of what I do now. But yeah, when we yeah. were doing Thundermans, so the Thundermans was sometimes taped in front of a live audience. Mm -hmm. and so the audience would be like mostly kids, obviously. And right. they just were so excited. Oh, yeah. So excited. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and we would all spend time afterwards to like meet them and sign autographs if they wanted. And mm -hmm. take pictures, not autographs. No, kids don't want autographs. They want pictures. Photos. Of photos. course. We yeah photos with them and it was super exciting for them and you know so it was draining for us but we would like spend the, spend the time to do it because they were so stoked and they're like how can you say no to a, like a stoked nine-year-old of course yeah i hope not <laughs> not if you have a heart yeah um so uh so you do so many things you're a very busy woman yeah. um how do you how do you decide what to say no to uh that's a really good question how do i decide what to say no to i just go by instinct you know like like i feel like i'm at the point in my career where like if i'm being asked to audition for like a one-liner i'm like no you know right. what i mean or sure. like, like there's enough video of me out there that you can find that you know that i can do it or not totally <laughs> um but I generally have a rule to say yes to most things. Yeah, I used to have a rule to say yes to everything. Okay. And that was a mistake. Or that wasn't a mistake for the time. That was a good yeah. learning lesson that you, if you say yes to everything, you will get burnt out really fast. So for a couple of years, like when I first moved to LA, not when mm -hmm. I first moved to LA, like when my career started heating up, like, few years into being in LA and I would say mm -hmm. yes to everything and that was draining yeah. you know like everybody's short film or everybody's like shitty show you know shitty bar room show that has <laughs> that's maybe gonna have four people in the audience right you know or yeah. like or like the comedy store the last spot at the comedy store closing out the night at 1 a.m mm -hmm. like I would say yes to all that. And now I don't say yes to those things because it was just draining. Like there's only so much you can do as a human being. And so was that a conscious choice that you're like, I have to I have to change the way I'm doing things? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I thought I thought I thought that saying yes to everything was like a good way to be as a sure. human. Like yeah. I say yes to everything. The universe brings me these opportunities. There's a reason why, you know, the universe has presented this opportunity to me. And so I'm just going to say yes and accept right. it. But I was tired all the time and I was drained all the time. And I was like, oh God, I shouldn't have done that two o'clock in the morning show in front of four, <laughs> four people at the drunk people at the comedy store. Like, Sure. That that didn't bring me anything. It didn't do anything for me, and it, all it did was made me tired and cranky the next day. Yeah. So, um, so that was a learning opportunity for me. That was a learning experience for me to be like, okay, I have to be like, say yes to most things, sure. <laughs> but not say yes to everything. Yeah, and I feel like the more successful people get, the more they have to excel at saying no to things. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. But. 
um, but also know know what you know say yes to the things that seem seem like they should say yes to like I'm very mm -hmm. intuitive like oh that seems like really cool or like I just said yes to moderating the Star Trek convention I mean because like but a, you love Star Trek so exactly why you? exactly yeah. like the money wasn't great right sure <laughs> the money wasn't great yeah but you probably like, you would have done I hate to tell them you would have done it for less don't tell them, but I 100% would have. Yeah. I 100% would have. Now that I've done one, right. I won't. Now you want to get paid for <laughs> the second Now I want to get paid. Like, yeah, of course. Now that I know how much work it is and how like draining it is, like it's a yeah. lot of work. They had me moderating a bunch of panels back to back. And so wow. it was really draining and really exhausting. And, you know, they expect you to know, like be up to speed, like what to ask George Takei and what to ask mm -hmm. the cast of Strange mm -hmm. New Worlds. Like, um so now that i've done one i will definitely ask for more money but the, they they asked me very little money to do a star trek convention and i was like yes sure <laughs> i'll be there i'm so excited of course yeah that's awesome um okay let me do a quick lightning round before i let you okay. get on with your life um what's your favorite city to travel to huh favorite city seattle washington okay yeah interesting yeah I love, um, that. I love that pike market for some reason i go oh, every yeah, for sure. time like i just yeah. love the guys throwing the fish and i love that it's on the wall i don't know something i don't know something i really like about it yeah yeah nice uh who's your favorite dj <laughs> and if you don't have one um your favorite uh, band you've ever seen live um the cure love the cure great show I, I still love depeche mode too yeah i mean both of those bands put on a great freaking show there were bands that i loved as a child mm -hmm. and for nostalgic reasons i still see them they still tour like they're in yeah. their 60s yeah, their 60s now i think and they're still touring and every time i see yeah. them going on tour i will still go and they're still crushing it like it's crazy these like 60 year old men are still like they're so still good. like given a good show yeah yeah so good i haven't i never i never saw the cure on tour but i saw my coachella that oh, was amazing they're awesome killer show yeah really um what's good. the last great book you read oh god i don't read you know okay. for my special i don't read the last great book i read um um green eggs and ham or something that i read <laughs> pound, pound fish <laughs> which is like a book that the kid is obsessed with I mean, it, it's funny how, you know, when you have, a, I have a 12 year old and you, uh, you end up reading some books over and over and over. They, he loves pow pow fish so much. And pow pow fish is like, I'm a pow pow fish with a pow pow face. And I spread the dreary wearies all over the place. That's nice. literally the best work, book that I've read. <laughs> it's literally one of the only books that I've read. <laughs> okay um what movie do you think you've seen the most in your life oh that's a really good question what movie have i seen the most in my life weirdly enough i think it's terminator 2. okay terminator 2. i think that was the best of this i mean i didn't watch i haven't watched all of them but the but i think i think it was better than the first one i i that I, I am split 
No, okay. no, you're right. You're right. It's better than the first one. It's better than all of them. It's yeah. it's like it's like a genuinely <clears throat> legit, probably one of the best movies ever made. And I know people are gonna like like scream when they hear that, but like it's legit. We have a we have a very discerning audience. It's a legit you know, when, it, when it comes to movies. Fucking great movie. I mean the the technical shit at for the time is amazing the casting like the the terminator the the guy that turns into like liquid mm -hmm. he's like that guy like what a perfect cast oh yeah for sure i remember no i saw him and, could have done it i remember seeing him in something else afterwards and i'm like this asshole like you Wrong. just couldn't not hate him exactly yeah exactly. For sure. he was just so good and like yeah. arnold was great and eddie furlong the kid mm -hmm. Perfect yeah. casting, and then, um, oh my god, what's the actress's name? Oh, uh, uh, yeah, it was, I forget her name exactly. The woman, the woman who played Sarah Connor, iconic. Mm -hmm. The fact that mm -hmm. remember her, like, everyone is like, she's her body is the best, totally like, special effect from that movie. I mean, she was jacked, <laughs> yeah, in that sure. movie, and she kicked ass. And I just love a strong feminist. Um, that's what I'll give up. I'll give up for James Cameron. Sometimes he can be real cheesy, but like he loves a strong female sure. like character, like a kick-ass, badass yeah. bitch. And I love that. Um, See, I love that answer because a lot of people's the movie that, you know, is like some shitty comedy that's just on like Comedy Central 12 times a year and you watch yeah. it when you're, when you're flipping through, you know? No. I mean, that's the other beauty about T2 is like they play it a lot. You know, every yeah. time they play it, I'll watch yeah, it. But sure. also, like, I will actively watch it. Like, I own, you that's know, great. a copy of it and I'll actively seek out and watch it. It's just, it's just a classic. It's just really fucking, enter it's entertaining and it's good. Love it. Who is somebody that you've learned a lot from that you haven't met? Joan Rivers. Mm. I did, I wasn't, as I told you, like, wasn't stand up comedy fan sure. as, a, as a as a young person i had yeah. no idea who she was i had heard her name honestly the i only knew her from like when she was like shitting on people's clothes uh, me. remember yeah, like yeah, that yeah. was like the last yeah, thing she, sure. did. she was like red carpet and just shit on people's outfits yeah. so that's how i knew her i just thought she was just like this old lady who just shit on people's clothes but then i watched the documentary there was a documentary mm -hmm. that came out yeah, called yeah. a piece of work brilliant dude i was like she is a goddamn beast as a comic. The mm -hmm. fact that she had, she, the, the, there's a scene in the movie where like she shows her card catalog. She has like a library card catalog of every joke she's ever written and no way. alphabetized. That's every crazy. joke she's ever written, she put it on an index card and alphabetized that shit and has like thousands and thousands of cards in a card catalog and she can pull out and they're like by topic. Like alphabetized by topic. Sure. So she's got one on like abortion, um, kids, you know, dogs, mm -hmm. like every topic. And she's and I was like, dude, that is fucking like what a hardworking comedian. There's also scenes where she's like going over her her calendar and she's like freaking out of her open dates. If she mm -hmm. ever had an open date where she wasn't working, she would freak out. And this is like when she was in her 70s. Yeah. And I was like, dude, there's so much. There's also a great scene of her dealing with a heckler, mm. which was really inspiring to me because someone was like, you can't joke about 
people with disabilities and she was like fuck you my husband had one leg fuck you and she just went after this guy wow whereas like a less seasoned comedian comedian would have shriveled like sure my son's disabled and how fucking dare you talk about yeah, disabled yeah, yeah. people and like you know like especially now we live in such a pc world like a touchy sure. pc world where other comedians would be like I'm so sorry. I apologize. And she just went right. She was like, fuck you. My husband had one leg. Go fuck yourself. You're not the only one with pain. Fuck you. Like, and I was like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a great lesson. Right. And I think when you're, when you're in that moment, when you're up on stage, you, you can't apologize. You have to own it and you gotta, you gotta go. Or if you know that you're wrong, you should apologize. You know, you, yeah, maybe. there's sure. definitely yeah. times I mean, it, where, yeah, you, sure. where you say shit on, you know, it's, it's not, I, I guess, it's, I guess what I mean is like, is, is it's about your conviction, right? Exactly. If, you're, if you know you're right, yeah. stand by it. Yes. If exactly. you know that you're wrong, own it. Sure. That's the thing. It's like, it's like, sometimes I do say shit on stage where I'm like, oh, that was fucked up. I shouldn't have said that. And then, you know, and then I do owe someone an apology, but most yeah. of the time, if somebody's getting touchy about some, uh, some joke, because it's like, They've laughed at everything else that I've made fun of, but this is their right. thing that they're sure. talking about. Yeah. Like Amber Alerts. I did a joke about Amber Alert. No, I did a joke about peanut allergies. Uh -huh. And I've had so much blowback from parents who are like, my is that child, right? yes. My child has a life-threatening peanut allergy, and how dare you make fun of it? You know what? Go fucking suck on a peanut. <laughs> Go suck on an almond, bitch. <laughs> like you can't laugh we no, the rest of us can't laugh about peanut allergies because your kid has a peanut allergy like fuck off that's crazy i don't have a peanut allergy so i'm Good. not uh i'm not I'm sensitive you, i won't tell you to suck on a peanut then <laughs> suck on um, my almond dick <laughs> but i did but i have read about how uh china apparently has like no peanut allergies and it's because they just feed peanuts to babies all the time and and then, and, and then they die no they don't no no, no. Yeah, yeah exactly and Remember? then the kids who have it die exactly nope end of problem no but the point being the parents are making it worse by avoiding peanuts anyway 100%. that's a topic that i know nothing about um last question if i worked for you what's something i would hear you say over and over oh for fuck's sake <laughs> it's my favorite phrase for like fuck's it. sake. I don't know why. For, for some reason, it's it's more satisfying than fuck, just fuck, or okay. shit. For yeah. fuck's sake. It's so satisfying. <laughs> I love it. Well, there's a certain exasperation attached to it. And, right? and, it's, like every, it's like, and it's like, you're, you're not, you're just being pained. It's a pained expression. Yeah. And I'll say it like, you know, like, I can't find the fucking, you know, like these fucking iPhones now, like, you can't use a regular headphone. Oh, right. You need the yeah. dongle that attaches. Uh -huh. And it's like, oh, for fuck's sake, Apple, really? Well, just wait. I think they're changing it again uh, on the next phone. These assholes. <laughs> These Apple assholes. Ugh. Helen, thanks so much for doing this. Thank super you for fun talking me. to you. Thank you for really having me. Really appreciate it. Um, everybody, go watch Well Hong. Uh, where, where do we find it? Uh, it's on Prime. It's on Apple TV Plus and it's on YouTube. Awesome. You. And uh, where should everybody follow you? You can follow where me you like to post? Uh, on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at funny Helen Hong. Because some other bitch named Helen Hong has my shit. Fuck her. Fuck her. Love it. 
Thank you, Helen. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yo, that was Helen Hong on Rebel Radio. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I did. Make sure you check out our special, Well Hong, online. Think you're going to love it. And most importantly, come back next week for more Rebel Radio. Peace.